needed to go around one more time. I'm just kidding. Oh, praise God. How's everybody doing? Come on. Ready for fall break? That's my fall. That's my fall. Well, I've been pushing Wednesday nights before I preach. So I'm going to do that again. This past Wednesday night, the students had like 90 people in here, kids and, and adults. Can we give God praise for that? It was awesome. If you have students, middle school or high school, you're, you really need to get them here. If you're here as a student and you're not involved, we have a time in here. The children downstairs, Kathy had over 30 in the women's ministry uh, Wednesday night, and they're doing an awesome series by Christine Kane. It's really, really good. Stephen, wave Stephen. Stephen leads our men's Bible study on Wednesday, and they've got a full group. And man, you're missing out if you're not here on Wednesday nights at 7, so do that. Well, we're in week two of our series, Flannel Graph Heroes. And last week, Confirmed that everybody under 40 had no clue what a flannel graph was. <laughs> how, many, how many remember that Sunday school class? Come on, with the flannel. That's awesome, isn't it? Good stuff. So uh, most of the time, let me do it quickly. If you weren't here last week, uh, flannel graph is simply a board. Sometimes they had a design like that with trees and things on it. The teacher would simply just take the cutout characters with flannel on the back, and it would stick to the board, kind of like Velcro, and they would stick these characters on the board as they told the story. Now, most of the time, it was the big stories. I mean, the big stories that everybody knows. Even if you go out on the street, people know about David and Goliath. You know, people know about Moses and, and Noah and the ark and all of that. But for this series, I kind of wanted to hit some unsung heroes. Maybe some stories that you've maybe heard about but didn't know the whole story. And such a blessing in those as well. And last week we talked about Josiah and the what? The elephant. Y'all, and nobody knew that there was an elephant in that story, but there is. And if you weren't here, you need to go back and find out what the elephant was. And so you can go to the podcast or watch it on video at newlifecanton.com. Uh, but this week... Our title is Redeeming Love, the story of Naomi. Redeeming Love, the story of Naomi. Now, going into this series, I had my characters picked out. I had my characters picked out, and this week was always going to be Ruth. I had this planned out for several months. It was going to be Ruth. It was going to be Ruth. Powerful story. Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. And so I began writing the message Monday, as I began rereading the story and writing it, this sermon flowed out. I wish they all would do that. They don't always. But this one just, I mean, I was just like, yes. And then I went back and started reading what I had written, and it was almost all about Naomi. Now, I'm not, be careful how I say this, I'm not the super spiritual, I, you know, see a demon behind every bush and this and that and hear voices and all this stuff all the time. But I'm telling you, it was just short of audible. The Holy Spirit said, this is to be about Naomi and not Ruth. And I began 
with a whole different perspective to study. And I'm telling you, this has hit me in an emotional, deep level like I can't even remember. Even this morning, studying, I broke down again. I'm almost embarrassed because I'm just not not that way. God wants to do something special this morning. God has truly given a word this morning. I want you to engage. I want you to focus. I want you to listen. But more than that, I want your spirit to be open to what God would do. I want to challenge you to do that. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. How many ready for the word? Come on. How many ready for the word? In the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So first we need to understand this is in the time of the judges. There is no king. This is a dangerous, uncertain time. A severe famine came upon the land. So a man, named, uh, a man from Bethlehem, the same Bethlehem that Jesus would be born in years later, in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian, and they were Aphrodites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now listen, these were Jewish people. These were Jewish people, and they were godly people. Later in the story, we find out that that is true. They loved the Lord. They loved God. They served God. So a severe famine comes to their area and to their hometown But they hear that there is food in Moab, about a 40-mile journey across to the east, across the Jordan River. Now, 40 miles is nothing to us. It's it's an aggravation. Yesterday, uh, my daughter, Rachel, was in a soccer tournament near the airport. (sighs) And, you know, that's farther than, than that. And, you know, but... You know, one hour's time, and we're, you know we're there with, with a little bit of luck in the traffic, right? And we're there, but they couldn't just jump in the minivan and do this, and it was dangerous as well. So get the idea of what's happening here. So Moab was a non-Jewish community full of paganistic people who did not love or serve God. This was not ideal. This was not. In Naomi's dreams to do. This was not comfortable for her. This is not what Naomi would have chosen or a place she would have chosen to raise her family. But listen, when you're starving, you go where the food is. When you're dying, you do whatever it takes to survive. Am I right? In our context today, that would be, in a physical sense, we're going to look at that physical sense, but the spiritual sense is where we're going to land. But in the physical sense, that would be having to move because of your job. How many of you have done that? Something dried up, they either got done with you or the economy turned or whatever, and you had to leave that job and find another in another place. And if you had children, they had to leave their school. They had to do all the thing. I've been there. Many years ago when we left Tennessee, it was 07, 08, that time period when the economy just tanked. And we had been in a church for seven 
years. We were, that was home. And the economy tanked, affected the giving, of course, at the church, and I experienced a 30% pay cut. Couldn't afford it. And so we moved from the land flowing with milk and honey, Tennessee, <laughs> into that paganistic society called Alabama. Roy, where's Roy? Sorry, I can't help it in football season, you know? Come on, it's coming up. It's not easy, though. Let's get back on track. Sorry, sorry. It's not easy. Now, in a spiritual sense, think about it this way. If, listen, if you are spiritually in a dry place today, if you are a feeling, feeling emotionally drained, if you are starving, come on, for an authentic move of God in your life. I mean, can I give you a tough word? Y'all receive it in the love that it's given? Come on, I need an answer on it because it's tough. All right. It might not be God who isn't moving. It could be you. If I go to take a shower, I turn the water on, and it's flowing, it's there, it's moving, it's, it's, it's right there. But if I don't take a step under the water, into the water, I will never experience the water. I have to move into that. Now, we're talking spiritually. I don't want all y'all to relocate. Brother Allen, he's telling us to move and quit my job. No, spiritually. Look at the board. Sometimes when we get comfortable, God allows things to dry up so that we will get moving again toward our destiny in Christ. Just ask Elijah. Same type of thing. Several years later, same general area, the same, a famine came again. And God provided for him miraculously. He tells him to go to the Kareth Brook. Listen to what happens in 1 Kings 17, 5. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth Brook. Remember, there's a famine going on. Everybody else is not eating or drinking. East of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But look at verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up. Everybody say that. The brook dried up. Up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Why did God allow the brook to dry up? How many know that if God wanted that brook to continue, even without the rainfall, he could have done it? And he does that sometimes. Come on, he does that sometimes. Everybody else seems to, you know, and God provides miraculously for you. But he allowed that brook to dry up. Somebody tell me what, why you think he allowed that brook. Somebody tell me, why did he allow it? So he would move. Come on, he had it made. Oh, you wouldn't move either. You get breakfast in bed every day. You got something to drink. Everybody else is starving and thirsty. You wouldn't move either, and neither would I. God was ready for Elijah to move on to his next assignment, and so he allowed the brook to dry up because he knew Elijah would never move unless he did. He had gotten comfortable. Listen. God has a plan for each of us who call him Lord. 
Now I know that that gets overused. God has a plan for your life. Come on. How many of you hear that all the time? But let me just get serious and ask you a question. If you're a believer, how many honestly, raise your hand, believe that God does have a plan for your life? Amen. Now listen. If you believe that, but today, today, right now, it feels like the rug has been yanked out from under you. I mean, it feels like you're doing backflips in the air like these Olympic people. Come on. It, you have no clue what's going on. You know God has a plan for your life. You believe that somewhere. But you feel like the rug has been just yanked out from under you and you don't know what's going on. Listen to me. I have a word for you. Don't panic. Turn to somebody next to you and say, don't panic. Don't panic. Listen, listen, listen. God is still at work. His redeeming love is still at work. The first thing we need to take away from this message is on the board. God's redeeming love is at work even in the darkest moments of our life. God's redeeming love is still at work. Even in the darkest moments of life. I mean, that's what redemption, come on, is all about. It's God taking us out, pulling us out of the worst possible situations we can possibly imagine and putting us in a better place all for his glory. That's what redemption is all about. That's what he did with your sin. He pulled you out of your sin and placed you on a solid rock, not just for you, but for his glory. That's what redemption is all about. That's his MO. That's who God is. Is. If you just do a little bit of study of this book, you will find it from Genesis to Revelation, his redeeming love. When the world became so wicked that he was done, he was ready to judge the whole world and kill everybody. His redeeming love, that part of his character would not allow him to do it. He found Noah and his family and he gave them time. To build the ark. That's his redeeming love at work. When the children of Israel were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt, it was a horrible season. It was a horrible time. It was a dark place in Israel's history. But come on, God's redeeming love was still at work. And he raised up Moses to deliver them from that place. That was a type and shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ of what he would do for us from our sin. When the people of Judah... Just kept on and kept on in idolatry. Even after Josiah cleaned house like we talked about last week, they went right back into it. And they eventually did go into exile under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. But God's redeeming love was still at work. He didn't give up on them. Come on, somebody. He didn't give up on them. He raised up men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who looking in the face of death. Come on. The fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar wanted those boys to bow and worship the, 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 the statue and worship that statue. And they said, we will never bow because the Lord our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow because we know the one true God and we know the story. When they threw him in, there was a fourth man. There was a fourth man in that fire. And that was the redeeming love of God. When the walls of Jerusalem... We're lying in ruin. 
And all seemed to be lost. The redeeming love of God was still at work. And he raised up Nehemiah to come and to be an administrator and to build that wall again. And then when there was 400 years of silence in the intertestimony period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible says the word of God was rare. And it was a dark period. It was a scary period. But the redeeming love of God was still at work. You may be in that silent where you feel like God is silent. But God is still, his redeeming love is still at work. And then one night in a manger, the baby Jesus was born. The redeeming love of God manifest in in skin came down to redeem us once and for all. The redeeming love of God is still at work today. Come on, somebody, give him praise. Pastor Allen... Pastor Allen, how do you know? How do you know it's it's not just stories? How do you know it's not just legend? How do you know? Because I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I was redeemed and set free. How do I know? Because I have experienced the redeeming love of God for myself. If you have given praise this morning. Come on. Now, with physical eyes. And that's what we have, right? That's what works a whole lot better than our spiritual eyes sometimes. With physical eyes, it may look like that all hell is breaking loose. And maybe it is. Come on, I'm I'm not up here to, to paint some untrue picture. Maybe it is. But if you are a follower of Jesus, God's redeeming love is still at work in your life. Everybody look up here. That is the hope we have in Christ. That is the difference between living without God and being in Christ. The Bible never says we won't go through these things. As a matter of fact, it says... We will. The difference is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not out there somewhere. He's right there with you, and he is still at work. Now listen, if you are not a believer here this morning, If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this may sound kind of like I'm talking you out of this. I'm not. Becoming a Christian does not exempt you from suffering, all suffering. I know that's not popular preaching. But I wish somebody would read the Bible and show me where that's not true. Come on.
The difference is that in every pain, in every sorrow, in every loss, in every disappointment, the redeeming love of God is still at work for those that are in Christ. That is what Paul is really talking about in the verse that is so often misquoted, misused, and abused. Romans 8, 28, and we know in all things, everybody say that, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul did not say all things are good. Cancer is not good. Car accidents are not good. Poverty is not good. Sickness is not good. War is not good. He said, in all things. God works what? For the good. Because that's how big he is. And that's how powerful his redeeming love is. Is It's a promise. Come on, folks. It's a promise that will always be at work to those who are in Christ. Amen. Go ahead. Let's continue with our story in Ruth 1, verse 3. Then Elimelech, who was the father, he died. Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other... A woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Killian died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons, without her two sons or her husband. Now, we've, if you've read the Bible, you've read this story and you kind of just went on. Think about what's happening here. They have to leave their home. There's a famine. They have to leave. God provides food there. And then the father dies. They get through that tragedy and 10 years later it seems like things are back on track. Things are going the way they want them to go. They get the boys get married, find good wives, and then all of a sudden tragedy strikes again. Is this preaching to anybody this morning? Now, not exactly the the details. I'm talking about just you feel like you get over one thing and you're like, "Hey, all right, things are going better. Everything's and then whack Come on. How many with me? Four of you. Awesome. Everybody else is doing great. You're dismissed. We'll just have a small group meeting. Both of her boys die. We don't know the, the, the how, but being that it was together, it could have been a violent death. We don't know. But understand this. Besides the devastation, the absolute devastation of her losing those boys, which, by the way, I think has probably got to be the greatest, hardest thing on the planet for a parent to lose a child. There is nothing. I can't imagine anything worse. I haven't been through that. I've been through with people. But on top of that, this was a death sentence for Naomi. In ancient Palestine, an older woman now left alone would not have been valued much more than a slave. This was a death sentence for her. Ruth, uh, let's move on to verse 6. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm going to pause just a second. 
I want you to bow your heads. I'm, I, this is weird. I'm not calling you up here right now. I've still got more to preach. But if you feel like you are in that desperate situation right now, right now, it's bleak, it's dark, it's depressing, would you raise your hand? Who else? Who else? Be honest. We're not, we're not calling you up right now. Who else? Okay, you can put your hands down. You look back at me. I want those of you who raised their hand, and there were quite a few. I want you to know something. I want you to hear me today. God changed the message for you. 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took off. They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. So listen, look at me. The plan was for all three of them to go back and just make the best of it. They were going to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem and just make the best of it. Verse 8, but on the way. Everybody say on the way. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But listen to verse 11. But Naomi, Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to marry again. Even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up? No, of course not, my daughters. Listen to what she says. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord, the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. But how many have felt that way before? When things are at the darkest, at the worst, the tragedy strikes, whatever it is, loss of job. How many have had that feeling of, my Lord, what am I doing? God, what have I done? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. Are you against me? If you have ever felt that way or if you are feeling that way right now, let me tell you something. You're in good company. Job. He started out pretty strong, but then there was some, some definite struggle in all those chapters. David. Just read the Psalms. Elijah. Come on, Elijah, the guy that stood on Mount Carmel and called fire down from heaven. Hid in a cave. Said, God... I just want to die. You're against me. I want to die. And then our Lord and Savior, Jesus himself on the cross, felt the weight of abandonment when he was dying. He said, my Lord, God, why have you forsaken me? Naomi was understandably bitter. And the more she, listen, the more she walked on this journey, the more bitter she became. How many enjoy taking a good walk? I like it. 
The problem is if I go alone, I tend to just walk and think. I just think a lot. And sometimes I overthink. How many overthinkers are in the room? I thought I had the right room. I'm pretty sure this little journey that they were taking was pretty quiet. And Naomi, the more she walked and the more she thought about what had happened, the more bitter she became and the more depressed she became until finally she got to the point she didn't even want anybody with her. And she just stopped in the middle of the road and told him to leave. Verse 14, and again they wept together and Orpah kissed his, her mother-in-law goodbye. But listen, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her. I can Now, look at me real quick. I think things are beginning to shift in this conversation. I think Naomi's getting aggravated. Look, Orpah's gone. She left. Just go with her. You should do the same. She's saying, just, just, just leave. But Ruth replied, and I think now Ruth gets a little bit of something. I think something rises up in Ruth, and she gets a little aggravated with her mom-in-law. I know that's never happened before. We had to have a little laugh in there. This is pretty heavy. But Ruth, listen, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Basically, don't say it again. Hush. Wherever you go, my God, this is good. Come on, somebody. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Verse 18 says, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Look on the board right now. God's redeeming love is at work through people who are determined to walk with us in our bitterness and pain. God's redeeming love is at work through people when we're in that situation. Don't push them away. Don't push them away. God's trying to reach you. God's reaching out to you. Naomi was right in the middle of her deepest sorrow, deepest depression. The last thing she needed, come on somebody, was to be alone, walking along that road. So God used Ruth to demonstrate his redeeming love. Now you got to hear me. I didn't put it on the board. I should have. Listen, 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 listen. God used Ruth to demonstrate his redeeming love, even though Naomi wasn't ready to receive it. You may be walking with somebody right now who's going through the worst time of their life, through a trial, through a tragedy, and they are pushing you away. The last thing you need to do is give up. They need you more than ever, even though they will tell you the opposite. God wants to show his redeeming love through you. Don't give up on them. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. As a matter of fact, you probably shouldn't say anything. Just be there for them. That's the redeeming love of God at work through you to someone who's not even really ready to receive it or doesn't want it. 
Now, there probably wasn't another word spoken on that trip. Naomi just gave up. Whatever. Whatever. She was probably, and they had seven-day travel here. Can you imagine the campfire? Probably not a lot of kumbaya around the campfire. How many know what I'm talking about? Verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? Now remember, they've been gone for 10 years or over 10 years. This was their home, community, family. Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. It means bitterness. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused, the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I'm getting ready to close this next point. You need to take a picture of it. You need to write it down. You need to put it on. You need to do whatever. Put it on your mirror. God's redeeming love does not give up on us even when we have given up on him. Look at me. Don't get distracted. God's redeeming love does not give up on you even when you give up on him or on him. Somebody needs to receive that right now. We don't have time to read the whole story. I recommend you read it from beginning to end when you come go home. I read this week to study this whole story. We don't have time, but many of you know the story of Ruth. You know at that point, Ruth does stick with Naomi. She, gets a, she starts working for a very influential and wealthy man. Anybody remember his name? Boaz. She starts working for him. He sees the hard work. He sees the fact that she stuck up and, and took care of Naomi. They're family. This is family. And he, he begins to promote her and use her. And it turns out that Boaz is the kinsman. Redeemer, What are we talking about? The redeeming love of God. He is the kinsman redeemer. And that just means that by law, he actually turns out when he studied it out, he realized he was responsible for these women because their husbands were dead. And after a series of, of God events, he takes Ruth as his wife. And she becomes pregnant and has a son. And this is where I lose it. I'm glad Kathy had to leave earlier than me today because I was in my room. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, this is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. And it will change your life. Don't miss this. So the baby's been born, the baby, the grandson. Verse 14 of Ruth 4. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, 
Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. That is an understatement. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Now listen to verse 16. And watch the redeeming love of God. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That promise that you thought my that promise that you thought was gone, that thing that God spoke to you that thought there's no way that's going to happen now, I'm telling you right now, I came by the Holy Spirit is saying, just wait, just hold on, keep trusting God because you will cuddle that baby, that promise next to you. It will happen because I am God and I am able to do exceedingly and abundantly above. Anything you can think or ask, I've got a plan. She cared for him as if she were her own. The neighborhood women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. Now get this, get this, put it on the board. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. She's holding the grandfather of King David. And who would come out of the family of David 16 generations later? But Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the King of glory. Hallelujah. God has a plan for His children. God is still at work. When we can't see it, the redeeming love of God is real. It's real. Here's the big idea. Even when your circumstances threaten to overwhelm your faith, trust in God anyway. Trust, trust, trust that his redeeming love will never fail.